put some reality to it and find someone to share with, someone you can talk with, someone to show kindness to. In, uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it says, it says in verse 3, it said, A dream comes through a lot of activity, but a fool's voice is known by many words. In other words, there are talkers and doers in life. And so a dreamer, a person who is caught with a dream and caught with a passion, you can always tell it it's not by what they're saying, it's actually what shows up in their life, what they're doing. That's true of all arenas of life, that a person who's passionate, alive, on fire, has a dream burning in them, you watch them and you'll find what they say and what they do will demonstrate that the dream is alive and it's become a reality and on the way to become a reality. I want to share today on restoring your passion. Restoring your passion because for many people, dreams uh, can be easily lost. If we have a look at 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 9, there are many things come to steal passion away. Passion is one of the greatest things we can have. God is passionate. If He wasn't passionate, you wouldn't have such a colorful creation, would you? you just have mostly one color, a bland color. But look, I looked today as I came in and I saw my friends from over in Africa and look at the color. Isn't that fantastic? And I love that color. And uh, I thought, you know, it's great to see you wearing such bright and strong colors because Kiwis are so conservative and would struggle to wear these. But I think they look magnificent. God is very colorful, you know, and he's passionate. God is extremely passionate in all that he does. And so 1 Corinthians 9, uh, Paul is talking, and he's, about, he's talking about running your race. So all of us have dreams of some kind. There are just dreams of making money, dreams of a big house, dreams of a boat, dreams of vacation, all kinds of dreams. Most of those are personal dreams, and they fulfill you for a while, but they do not last. There also are eternal dreams, dreams of doing something significant that can help change the lives of people. And so the dreams God births in our heart are dreams that will have an eternal impact on lives. But one of the dilemmas is we can easily lose our fire and our passion. And we saw that there were many things can steal a dream. I'll share with you one more thing can steal your dream. And I want to talk how to deal with it. But notice what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you know, those that run a race, everyone runs, but there's only one winner. There's only one gets the prize. And he's using this, not saying that there's only one prize and we're all competing against one another. What he's doing is using a race. That if you ever see a race, say the Olympic races, man, the Olympic races, now you watch them, they line up there, and it is so exciting. You can feel the atmosphere. And the, the, the gun goes off, and away they go. And everyone has got one thing in mind. Their whole life has been preparing for this moment when they would run that race and they have one thing in mind. I want to cross the line first. And I want the gold medal. I want to stand on a dais. I want to be able to stand there with my country's flag behind me and hear them play the national anthem and everyone notices. And I don't know if you've ever noticed when you watch, it's incredibly emotional. Have you ever asked the question, why is it emotional when someone from our nation wins in the Olympics? Why is it that when they get up there and they play our national anthem and our flag's waving and we've got the gold, that even though you didn't do a thing, you're just watching it on television, tears come up into your eyes. <laughs> why is that? I've often, I've started to think more in these last year or so, when I feel emotions, what is fueling that emotion? I haven't done anything. I haven't 
I've just sat down, turned the television on, and watched the person win. And yet there it is, tears coming into the eyes. And I realize always behind feelings, there's always some kinds of thoughts or some deeper issues of the heart. And I think God has wired, the Bible says, God has put eternity in our hearts. He's put in the heart of every person an awareness of an eternal spiritual realm, a realm of heaven. And I believe He's put in everyone, everyone's heart a sense that I want my life to count for something. I don't want to just do nothing and fill my life in on empty things. I think that's in every person. And so I think that every one of us is wired in our heart to know that you have only one go at life. It is a race and there is a prize to be won. We're not talking about winning heaven. You don't win heaven. Heaven is a gift to you. It's a place you go when you're connected to Jesus Christ. He's talking here about an eternal prize. And I think when you go to an Olympics or watch the Olympics, something inside, deep inside our hearts stirs up and we just sense, oh, we identify with that person and we want one day for that to be us. One day for it to be us. And the Bible is full of examples of men who ran their race. Paul said, I run it so I can get hold of what God has called me to do. Now that's a determined man. That's a passionate man. I've never seen an Olympic runner running slowly. They got their eyes fixed, their eyes set. They just give it their best shot. They are 100% passionate. He said, no, he said, I run to obtain. That word obtain means something I've longed for to get hold of it. He had his eyes fixed on an eternal prize. And I said, he said, everyone who competes for the prize exercise self-control in their life. And they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So what he's saying is, there, just as in the Olympics, there is a prize to be won. Now, you've never seen anyone running the Olympics that didn't run for the prize. Have you? They don't just run for the prize. They want to win that prize. And when they win that prize, it's a treasured possession. And he's saying, this is perishable. This thing passes away. The glory is 15 minutes. But us, God has got something for us that lasts for eternity. And He wants you and I to have the same passion in our life in pursuing God's purpose for our life. And that was what Paul was like. He said he exercised self-control. He said, I'm not running with uncertainty. I'm not fighting like someone who's just beating the air. I have a real opponent. I have a real prize. And I have set my life to win in life. That's a great passionate man. That's a man of passion, isn't it, eh? And I discipline my body, bring it into subjection, lest if I preach to others, I could be disqualified. So he's just saying that even though I've been called, and even though I've run a good race so far, I can still mess it up in the last stage of my life. Very clearly, there's a prize. I won't elaborate on the prize. I want to just talk about the passion, getting the passion back in your life. So very clearly, he had a determination and a resolve. And one of the things I have observed is that if you are going to be successful in any arena of life, you have to have passion and sustain it. And not only that, in our spiritual walk, the Bible tells us it's imperative to have passion and fire in our lives. Yet, when you live in New Zealand, you find that there's sort of like a blanket, or a cold, wet blanket sweeps over everyone, rests on everyone, and people are indifferent. I watched last time the Queen came through. I saw the first time she came through, there were thousands out there, and they all clapped and cheered. Next time they came through, they just looked. So what's changed in our nation? Get excited about rugby, but can't get excited about things that last for eternity. 
I see people come into church and, and, and the fire is very low in our lives because of what we've been experiencing through the week. And that just testifies there is a very real fight and a very real pressure. You are facing a real pressure. You are facing a real enemy. Paul says, I'm not swinging my arms about and shouting praises. He said, I know there's a spiritual realm. I know there are real pressures come against me, real conflicts. I want to win my life. I want to win the prize. I'm not going to be thrown off by something on the way. That's what he's talking about. And so very easy for us. And so one of the issues that I have found that can be a, a, a dream thief for all of us and not only in natural things, but also in the things of eternity, is passivity. Passivity. Passive person is just shut down and has no fire, no energy. They are waiting for something to happen. It's very easy for you as a Christian to just pray and wait for something to happen. Most times, nothing happens. I don't know whether you've noticed that. Just in case you hadn't, I thought I'd point it out. Because real, living, passionate faith always shows up with someone passionately doing something. You can pray for revival all we like. If you don't go out and do something, I believe God put a revival in your heart. But what's happened to that revival? Well, if it's gone down, you'll be waiting for it to happen one day. But revival's in your heart here and now. It's up to us to stir up the fire and the passion carry the life to people who have need. Look what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 6. Now Hebrews talk, this is writing to Christians. So don't, it probably refers to the person next to you, but you know, by chance it could be you. I wouldn't know. They will point it out to you though, if you were to ask, which you probably won't want. So here it is. <laughs> and he says, now, verse 11, Hebrews 6, verse 11. Now we desire that each of you show diligence. He's saying, I want you to be diligent, passionate, on fire. It's not a personality thing. It's a character thing. It's a spiritual thing. And so he says, and don't be slothful. Slothful. That means sluggish, dull. It has the kind of implications of being mentally retarded. So in this context, it's saying, don't be retarded. A mentally retarded person doesn't catch on too quick. You've got to say it over and over, and they still don't always get it. And isn't that like so many Christians? You say things over and over and over, week after week, and they don't get it. You only have got it when you're doing it, of course. And that's the thing about spiritual things. So notice it, don't be sluggish. So he's warning us not to be slothful or slow. It means someone who's lost their speed and momentum, someone who's lost their passion. It's talking about a fire that burnt, and then it's gone, and it's just a little flicker. And you look in the eyes, and they say, oh, hi. And there's no fire there. It's very draining to be near people like that. Have you ever noticed that? I like to get around people who are passionate about what they do. It doesn't matter what the field is. If they're passionate about it, have you noticed you come away excited about what they do too? Even if you had no interest in it whatsoever, you know, you come away, and suddenly you're on, you've got an interest going in there. Their fire is contagious. And that applies to every area of life. How much more with something so important as the salvation of people, how much more so important is our fulfilling God's cause for our life that we be passionate, on fire. 
We have to keep stirring the church. Why you find the church, we keep stirring it up all the time. It's really quite simple. It's because there is a tendency to lose passion, lose fire, become dull, unenthusiastic. We live in a small area, and a lot of people in a small area, quite small thinkers and quite negative, and they prefer to gossip about what's wrong over the road and down the road than to actually get a vision and make something happen with your life. Well, you know, that's why it says don't be a retard. Don't be slow. Don't be slow. Don't be slow. Oh, I didn't say that. It says it in here. Be diligent is the opposite to being sluggish, passionate and full of fire. So notice there, be diligent. It tells us even there some of the keys of how to do it. So and, and it says, if, you, if, you, if you've lost, if you are a bit retarded and a bit slowed down and lost all the passion of fire, it says, find someone who's on fire, get near them and follow their example. That's what it tells you to do. Follow their example. File someone. Now, it may not, it, I tell you, fire burning in a person, it'll express in different ways, but I tell you something, it always can be felt because it's inside them in their spirit. You get someone who's passionate. They may not be as exuberant as I am, but they, they will have it burning in them, and you can feel the energy and the intensity of their dream, their desire, their pursuing. They talk about it. It's in their eyes. You start, I was just with someone for coffee. I didn't know her at all. And then I started to talk about the things I'm passionate about. Talk about racking up demons and casting them out. I saw her go, oh, 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 oh. Her body language went like that. And I could see, oh, I'm going to like you. <laughs> Immediately, she was on fire. And then I found out it was Larry Lee's former wife. And he did the, you know, the Lord's Prayer years ago. Fired the whole world up and praying the Lord's Prayer. And here she is, full of fire. I thought it was great. thought you'd be great to come to our church. I can see that same spirit inside, okay? Here's another one there. Come and have a look at this. And that is Romans chapter 12. So if you're running down a bit, get near people who are excited. Don't get near people who are drained, no vision, no life, no purpose, no nothing. Don't hang out with them and give your life to them and let them drain you down. Find people with focus and vision. Young people, don't hang around people who are going nowhere. Find someone that can model what it is to succeed in life. Older people, mentor some of the young ones. Help them show, see what it is to succeed in life. They're just young and vulnerable, don't understand. The pressures that come can take them off. Here's Romans chapter 12. Notice what it says here. It says uh, in verse 11, don't be slothful. This is a word for business people, but it refers to more than that. Don't be slothful in your business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Huh? How about that? So you notice before it was diligent versus slothfulness, and now it is fervent in spirit. So losing passion or uh, losing your passion, losing your fire is a spiritual issue. Uh, notice the word here uh, is slothful. It doesn't mean lazy. A person who's lazy, a person just doesn't want to work. That's a character issue. They're just not willing to work, not willing to apply themselves mentally and physically to the job. And the Bible's got lots to say about uh, lazy people, it says Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of a lazy man uh, kills him because his hands refuse to labor. In other words, they've got a desire, but because they won't work, they don't get anywhere, and their desire kills them. They just feel frustrated because they're not doing what they need to do to succeed, and, they, and they're not doing because they're lazy. Uh, Proverbs 22, 13, a lazy man says, uh, there's a lion outside, I'll be slain in the street. So a lazy person's always finding problems, why they can't do anything. 
And then, of course, there's another scripture in Proverbs that says, a lazy man could give more reasons than you could ever think of for why he isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. In other words, a lazy man's full of excuses. So laziness is a character issue. The answer is they just need to go hungry until they get their thinking clear. And uh, so, so lazy, this is slop, it's a spiritual issue because it's saying fervent in spirit. So if we want to, to, to succeed somewhere in life, we need to keep the fire burning inside us. Keep the fire of passion. God lights the fire. It's our job to keep a fire going. And if you've got a, a job or a hobby or an interest or uh, an area of ministry or something God's called you to do, it's your job to keep the fire going. God gives you the gift. You have to develop the gift and keep the fire going. And there's many things can cause the fire to go out. But passivity is one of the biggest ones. When we become passive, we actually lose the drive to do anything. Passivity. And now, the, you see, one of the things happens as Christians, we get locked into this mentality and confused what our part is and what God's part is. And so if it's all about our part, we have no faith. We don't bring God into anything. But if it's all about God, we end up being quite spiritually passive and shut down because we aren't actually putting our faith to work. So the issue then is how to work with the Holy Spirit. His part is very clear. He lights the fire and he encourages us on the way and helps us on the way and directs us and guides us. Our part is to stand up and start to cooperate and do things. You can pray for souls to be saved until the day, and I believe we must pray, but if we don't engage people in a way that's meaningful, relational, that meets needs in their heart, they don't actually experience salvation. They don't come into it. And that's true of every aspect of life. Faith without works is dead. So what you're doing with your life is a great reflection on how passionate you are, how alive your faith is, how real your faith is, and what's really going on. And so when we get knocked, discouraged, we have delays, we get hurts, we get setbacks, all kinds of things, the most common thing is for us to lose our passion and fire. In Revelation 3, there was a whole church lost its passion and fire. Revelation 3, verse 14 to 21, there's a church at Laodicea, and the whole church lost its fire. And Jesus repairs to the church, and he says, I'm the Alpha. Oh, that's a lot of words. I'm the... He says, I'm the, the amen. That's a strange thing to call yourself. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You're neither hot nor hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were <laughs> cold or hot. I'll have to look it up now, won't I? We didn't pay our power bill and it ran out. <laughs> we become lukewarm. Oh, here we are. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation. I know your works. Wish you were, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. In other words, what God is saying, now notice what he, God is saying. He's saying something like this. He's saying, I don't mind it if people are cold. At least you know where they are. And I, don't, I love it when people are hot. Well, they stand out and do something. But this lukewarmness, I can't figure it. I don't like it. That's what he's saying. Is I don't like the lukewarmness. Don't like half-heartedness and lack of passion. That's why you can go into a service and you can sing half-heartedly for half an hour. You can do an hour if you like. It won't make any difference. Nothing's going to happen. One minute of passion. I was in a church conference and, and uh, boy, they sang for half an hour. Actually, it was pastor's conference, would you believe? And they sang for half an hour. It was dead. It was shocking. And I just was... So I got up and said, it'll take about two minutes for the presence of God to come. But right now, there's a heaviness over here. If we don't shift it, nothing's going to happen. I said in about two minutes is all it takes for the atmosphere to change, presence of God come, people start to get touched. And you could, I could feel their unbelief. 
That's pretty difficult. Now, this is a whole group of pastors, Pentecostal pastors. It's pretty tough, isn't it, eh? I said, here's the one thing that's missing. Passion. All beaten up. So I just got them to do a few things, spiritual exercises, passionately. And within a moment, the atmosphere changed. The president got came. Some of them were falling over without me going near them or touching them. They were shocked. Well, there we go. <laughs> so anyway, so these words. So God wants us to be on fire. And we're passionate. Oh, I love people that are passionate. Okay, here it is. It said now. He said this is what he says. Uh, these things say the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Uh, just putting that spiritual language, just, and just so can, it's simple. Amen. He says on the, you know, the, uh, the amen. Amen is always, yes, so be it. It's going to happen. So basically he's saying, that word when he says I'm the amen, he's basically saying I'm steady, reliable, unchangeable. That's who I am. And this is actually not about the church, about revealing who Jesus is. Number one, he's steady, unreliable, unchangeable. Two, he's faithful and true. That means he sticks to what God the Father gave him to do in the earth. Absolutely faithful, never deviates, sticks on course with passion. That's why he's called and appears in Revelations 19. He appears as the lion of the tribe of Judah, riding a white horse, and on his, on his uh, name written on him, faithful and true. Faithful and true has to do with being assertive in your life, not against people, but to stand up against the wet blanketing and the discouragement and the heaviness and all the other stuff that comes to keep you fired up with what you want to do. Whether it's a business, a ministry, a home, a marriage, a family, oh, you stay fired up and keep that dream alive inside you. Don't let it go out of your sight. That dream to go to China. Bill's going to China. He's going to preach this year. Fantastic. When I used the word preach, I noticed you weren't so enthusiastic. <laughs> when I mentioned China, he was fired up, his eyes lit up with the word preach. But that's okay. That's just something to get over, isn't it, eh? But lots of people can help you do that. So notice what Jesus said. There's a remedy to this. He said, here's the remedy. He said, this is the counsel he gave. He said, actually, this is what you need to do to get the passion back in. He said, buy of me. I counsel you by me. Now, what does that mean? It means only Jesus can give you what you need to get the fire back again. You've got to get it from him. Why don't I get it from church? Yeah, it helps. But it's actually at the end you've got to connect to him. You've got to connect to him personally. Got to connect. It's all about personally connecting with Jesus. You know, look at everyone else and you'll get discouraged. Look at him, you'll get happy again, you know? Look around his family, you think, oh, you know, oh. You know, I'll find another part of the family and go another part. So it's even worse there. So doesn't matter where you go, the problem are who's in Jesus' family. And uh, so they're all on a journey of coming alive. So keep your eyes on him. Just keep centering on him, not on your problems, not on him. Keep Jesus, you're the model. So notice he says, I'm the alpha, I'm the faithful and true. And one other thing he said, I think if I remember right, what else did he say he was? Here it is. We'll find it here. It's, uh, he said, I am the, got it? The beginning of the creation of God. Now, what is the creation of God? You are. He's the first one to rise from the dead. So, he's the beginning. He's the model for passion. He's the model for a faithful, true life. He's the model for a person with purpose and resolve. He's a great model. Should be taught in all our schools. Really? He's a great model. And, and anyone, 
there's, you find any leader that motivated as many, many people as Jesus did, try and find them. He had something, but of course he's controversial, that's the problem, because he spoke the truth. So here it is, it counsel, by me. So what he's saying is, in order to get the fire back, in order to come alive, in order to get the passion back, you've got to come to me and, you notice, buy. Buy means it costs you something. You can't have passion and fire and vibrant life inside you without it costing you something. He says, does that mean I've got to buy? Can I, how much money can I give to get this? And I pay a tithe. No, 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 no. It's not that way. No, 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 no. It costs you something. What does it do? It costs your flesh something. It costs you time. It costs you time. Oh, I'm so busy. I can't pray. So busy. Can't be with God. So busy. There's so many. You don't understand how much busy. No, no, no. I understand it costs something to have spiritual fire. It costs you something with your time. It costs you to repent. Boy, repenting isn't so easy. It has a great result, but it just, there's times it's not so easy to let go of what we've got ourselves caught up in to catch something that's of more value to us. You know, there's things we need to repent of. You're never too old to repent. If you're too old to repent, it's probably time to pass on. <laughs> see, we'll be repenting till the day I, I re repenting till the day I die. I can see it now. Thinking as I die, all the things I, oh God. <laughs> No, no, no. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is actually acknowledging where we've got our priorities wrong, our dependencies wrong, our attitudes wrong, whatever's in our heart wrong. There's a, there's a dying to self. There's a cost emotionally and in your flesh to just repent and let go of your pride and admit your need and come to God and spend time with Him. It, it, there's a cost. And you've got to pay the price. You know, when I come to church and have to stand up and minister, you don't know what I went through before I came. You see me up here full of fire. You don't know what it cost to have the fire. I can tell you now, after many years of ministry, and anyone who carries the life of God tells you the same thing, there is a cost. It costs you to praise God when everything is going wrong around you, and your soul and your emotions are heavy, and you can't see an answer, and things are discouraging, and you rise up and praise the living God, and give Him a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice that costs you something. I tell you, it produces a fire in your life. Because God sees and God comes through. You have to learn to develop the lifestyle. And he said, I count you to buy a man. count you to buy some faith. Our faith is a relationship with God. It's depending and trusting on God. It costs you something to let go of what you're depending on and lean into him. It costs you something to get back into the place of trusting God again. Letting go of the other things. A white raiment speaks of a picture of purity. It costs you something to let go of the things that got into your soul that affected you. And just say, God, I'm coming back to you. Just Now just let my heart be clean from all of those things that have got around my soul. And the funny thing says, I self. And that's revelation. It costs you something to get, it costs you something to let God speak to you afresh. Terrible thing about God is he doesn't always, you know, when you start out, he'll talk to you real quick, and then as time goes on, he takes time, he doesn't answer, and he kind of, he just, you've got to learn character stuff of persevering with him. But all of us need the Holy Spirit to shine the light in our heart so we can see clearly again. You see, uh, the Bible says, you know, uh, you judge, don't judge because you'll reap something in your life. Rather, get the, the beam out of your own eyes so you can see clearly. So judgmental attitudes and pride and all kinds of stuff that gets in us. You need the Holy Spirit to, one, show us what's in our heart to get rid of, and two, to give us fresh passion, direction, ambition again. You need him. When did he last speak to you and got something excited in you? 
He got to spend time in his presence. Let me show you how David recovered. We'll just finish with this in Psalm 143, and I'll show you how a man recovered out of the pits. This guy's a great example. In fact, so great an example that Jesus was called the son of David. He just came out of that same kind of fiery line. And David was a lovely, sensitive young boy, played the music and stuff, but he wasn't no mamby-pamby. He was a fighter. And you know, Christianity's got that balance of love and gentleness and kindness and oh, gutsy determination to stand up and push through things. Okay, so here it is. In Psalm 143, now notice this, how he, the state he's in, and I'll give you a couple of keys how to get out of it. He says, oh God, help me. In your faithfulness, answer me. Verse 3. Now notice this condition, first of all. First of all, his condition, the enemy has persecuted my soul. That means, now he's not talking about a physical enemy here. David was aware of spirit realities. He said, a spiritual enemy, the devil, has come against me. That word persecute means to pursue someone with hostility and desire to overthrow them and destroy them. He said, an enemy has pushed on my soul. He was aware of spiritual realities, David, far more than we realize. He was very aware of them. Notice what else he said. He said, he's crushed my life into the ground. Now that's pretty low. It's pretty low, isn't it? He's crushed my life into the ground. So David is writing honestly. You notice how honest he is before God about his condition? I think there's some people here like that. You know, and, and, and notice what else he said. He's made me dwell in darkness like dead people. You ever seen dead people? Motionless, no feeling, no passion, no life. He said to dwell in darkness means you can't see what to do, where to go, how to get out. You're actually in a place where you're quite lost. So notice what he's saying. I've had tremendous spiritual assault on me. It's, it's, there's a, it's, it's relentless. It's not, it never gives up on me. He said, it's crushed me inside. and my, I feel like I've got no life anymore. And he says, I'm living in darkness. I can't even see what to do, where to go, how to get out of this whole thing. And he said, notice this. He said, my, therefore, because of this, my spirit is overwhelmed. He said, and that word overwhelmed means to be clothed or shut down completely to be clothed or shut down completely. He said, we're to be clothed with power in the Holy Ghost. But he was totally clothed and shut down by distress. He said, my heart within me is distressed, deeply distressed or numbed or awestruck. Now notice, this is a man who has lost all fire, totally. And he said there's a, there's a cause for it. He said the cause is a demonic oppression. The reality is how it's worked out is people. He said, I've had conflict after conflict and disappointment and difficulties with people, but there's a demonic spirit behind it has pursued me. And he said, here's my condition. I'm absolutely overwhelmed in my spirit. Now, to be overwhelmed in your spirit means literally to be shut down and almost become passive. There's no flow from your spirit. We're called to be spirit people. And the victory lies from being able to flow and have our spirit free and our mind clear. When you, you see, your spirit gives life to your body. Your spirit departs from your body, your body dies. Your spirit actually helps your body stay alive and gives health to it. But your spirit also illuminates your mind with creative ideas. So when your spirit's fired up and alive and full of the presence of God, what happens is you have a creativity and there's a life around you. Your mind gets good ideas. See, when you, when you start to get overwhelmed, and get in the flesh, your mind shuts down, you become negative, pessimistic, critical, you can't see any hope, you just begin to shut down. That's a person who's in the flesh. Person's in the spirit, they're alive, and there's a release and a freedom around them. Doesn't mean the problems have changed, it's just they're free to face them properly. So David's saying, I was absolutely downed. How did he, how did he, now he used two methods 
to deal with being down. The first one is he dealt with his thought life. You know, as you think in your heart, so you are. He dealt with his thought life. And there's a specific way to deal with thought life. You must confront the negative thinking. See, the only power the devil has is the one we give him over, uh, over us by embracing or allowing negative thinking to come into our life. So notice what he did. This is how he did it. So he's first of all stated his condition. So the first thing, if you're overwhelmed, is you actually got to get out and be honest with God about your condition. Second thing is, you need to actually confront the thinking. In the face of this kind of spiritual pressure, which we all experience, he said, this is what I did. In verse 5, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse and talk over the work of your hands. So the first thing he did was begin to renew the thinking. And how he renewed his thinking is very simple. You and I have got the Bible, we can do it. But you've got to get some different thoughts coming into your mind. See, when you have overwhelming negative thoughts and your mind is full of those things, your emotions and spirit shut down. So you have to take a decision to deal with the negative thoughts. So what he did was he consciously began to meditate on what God had done. He began to think of all the victories he'd had in the past, began to meditate. Oh, man, God broke through that time. That was awesome. Oh, I had that difficulty. Oh, God broke through then. He began to read in the Bible about other people who broke through. Whoa, look what he did for Moses. Whoa, look what he did for Joshua. Ho, ho, and Gideon, a man of fear. Look what he did for him. Man, that's fantastic. He began to consciously meditate, to meditate over and over and over and over. Most people just nurse their hurts. They don't actually ponder the word and the promises of God. So you consciously roll the word of God over until you start to feel yourself coming alive again. It's a conscious talk. It's a conscious thing to do. Second thing to do is he prayed. He said he, he then lifted his hands to the Lord and he prayed for a number of things. I spread my hands out to you, O God. My soul longs for you as in a thirsty land. I'll just, I won't go through it in detail. Let me just give you a few things that he did. You and I are given by the Holy Ghost a powerful gift of tongues. David never had that. We are well ahead of him in terms of what God has given to us as a resource. You have the Holy Spirit lives within you. We're joined to the Holy Spirit. Within you, you have the capacity to arise. When you speak strongly in tongues, your spirit starts to come alive. See, when you speak strongly in tongues, your mind begins to clear and new ideas come. When you speak strongly in tongues, we begin to shift the atmosphere spiritually. An atmosphere of praise, a positive atmosphere starts to come around our life. The gift of tongues, one of the most unused gifts in the church. To pray strongly, persistently, knowing that as you do this, you will activate the life of God. You can do that anytime, any day, if you choose. It's the not choosing becomes the problem. We have to choose to do that. So we've got that. But so what did he do? He, he cried. These are the things that caused me to hear your loving kindness. He cried for a fresh encounter with the love of God. He just needed to experience the love of God. So when you're down and you've lost your passion, you need to come near the God who loves you. We need just to be loved and reaffirmed. Second thing, he sought direction on how God, uh, from God, teach me to do your will. Uh, no, whereas uh, uh, he says, cause me to hear your loving kindness, for you do I trust. So he affirms his trust in God and begins to reach out to him again. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Now notice he's done two things here. He's actually done two things. He said, I trust you. He's redirected his thoughts back to trusting God. Why did he need to say that? Because he'd stopped trusting God because of all the negativity. So once he began to meditate and he got his thinking right, then he begins to reposition himself. God, I trust you. My life is in your hands. You are my shepherd. 
Then he begins to ask God for something. I want to experience your loving kindness. I trust you. I'm in relationship with you. Pour out your love upon me. He says that. And then he begins to cry out for God to show him what to do. He says, why? Because I lift my soul to you. I've actually consciously lifted my focus and put it on you. A lot of people don't do that. They focus on everything's wrong. And so he did things that shifted him and got the passion alive again. And notice here it says, deliver me from my enemies, for in you I take shelter. So every time he asks something, he also declares something about what God is like, say, or what he's doing. So he sought deliverance. Teach me to do you well, he asked God to, for direction. Now, what are you gonna, well, I need to know what to do. I need how to line up with your will. You're my God. Your spirit is good. We were singing about that this morning. So he cries out for God to lead him. Notice he's looking for direction. All of these things are coming out of lifting up his mind and soul, first of all. And he says, now give me life. Lord, revive me. Give me life for your name's sake. And notice, uh, for your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. So notice in all he's praying, he connects his, his getting an answer from God with him doing something or with God being like something. God, I'm asking for this because you are like that. You are my shepherd. You are good. You're a good God. Therefore, I ask you to do this. So he does that. There's, you notice there's nothing soft or weak in this praying. It's actually intense, passionate prayer. And then the final thing he ends up with, he, he asks the Lord to send uh, angels against his, his, his enemies. He said, notice he says, in your mercy cut on my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant. Again, you notice he connects it. He connects his identity with his right and privilege for God to do certain things. I could develop that a lot more, but just bring it to this. You notice that you and I are children of the living God. We need to learn how to function in things spiritual. When your spirit is overwhelmed, when your soul is overwhelmed, it happens. It's a horrible place to be. He said, I was in darkness. I had a clue where to go, what to do to get out of it. So he did some things. He meditated. He consciously spent time with the Word of God, shifting his thinking. When you've gone down, shift your thinking. Now, you can do it a number of ways. You can meditate in the Word of God. You can play scriptures over. You can talk with people who've got faith in their heart. You can listen to me messages and preaching that's got faith in it. What happens as you begin to let your mind cut off all the negative news, cut off the newspapers, the television, just let your mind become washed with positive things again so your spirit starts to rise again. Then when you've done that, there's a need then to specifically come near to God for certain things based on what God is like or what we are doing. If I lift my spirit to him, then I expect I will encounter him. If I pray in tongues strongly, I expect something to come from him. If I consciously lean on him, I expect him to do something. God is good, I can expect him to help me. You notice he connects declarations about what God is like with his expectation for something to happen. Or he, he, his expectations based on what he's done. So here it is. David found a way to lift himself up. The church in Revelation was told how to do it. It always, you've got to do something. So here's the remedy for lost passion. You've got to recognize you lost your passion and take some specific steps to restore it. Specific steps require a cost. There's something you've got to do to get it back because you did lose something that was a powerhouse in your life. So you've got to recognize, if I don't get the passion back and the power back, I'm going to drift and I'm not going to make any impact with my life. I need to value myself enough to take the time to get the passion back. Then start to do some things you need to do. 
And there's a few keys just in there. Very simple keys you could do. Pray strongly in tongues. Meditate in the Word. Listen to some inspiring messages. Cut off the negative thoughts. Begin to reach out to God. Expect Him to, to encounter Him with His love. Give you fresh direction. Speak it. Declare it. Confess it. Until you begin to see the breakthrough. But stir your spirit to stand up. Why don't we close your eyes right now. Father in heaven, we just thank you. You're our God. You're our friend. Father, we thank you. You are good. You are good. Oh, you are good to us. And you're good every day. You're good every day. We just honor you today. I want to wish while we just have our eyes closed and heads bowed. Is there any person here never received Jesus yet, haven't become a Christian? This would be a great day to connect your life with God, to connect your life with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you're created for a purpose, but sin has separated you from God. That's why you're living life like you are. God isn't really much a part of it. And you just do what you can do the best you can. You just try like everyone else's. And sometimes you're doing all right, sometimes you're not. But the Bible calls that lifestyle sin, a living life separate from God. God came in the person of Jesus Christ to show us he loves people. He died on the cross to break the power of sin, to to deal with the power of sin and rose again from the dead after three days. So we know he's victorious. He's victorious over death and victorious over sin. So he has the power because he's risen from the dead to change your life. And he wants to do it. You've just got to decide to commit your life to him. Put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. And what's stopping you doing it? You've probably tried lots of other things. Why don't you make a decision to respond to Jesus Christ today? Is there any person here at that place ready to receive Christ? Please raise your hand. Just let me know. Make a personal decision to follow Christ. Just raise your hand. Let me know. Is there anyone here? God bless. Hand over there. God bless you here. Anyone else? Fantastic. Anyone else here today? Anyone else? It's a great thing to make that decision to receive Jesus Christ. It's awesome. Over there. God bless you, Sarah. See your hand up. Anyone else here today? This is a great decision to make to receive Jesus, to connect with God, your sins are forgiven. You get a fresh start, but now you're connected with God and you can walk with Him. Is there anyone else, one other person, ready to receive Christ? This would be your day. Okay, I wonder if there's anyone else here today, and as I was speaking, you realize that you've lost the passion, lost the fire, something's gone out of you, and, and today you're not going to pretend it's not like that. You're going to say, God, I know it's like that. I need to do something. If you raise your hand today and say, God, I, I see I've lost the passion and fire that I once had. God bless, God bless. Hands going up, God bless, God bless, God bless, God bless. Over there, God bless. Anyone else? God bless. Many hands going up. Wonderful. This is what we're going to do in a moment. Just get everyone to stand on the count of three. Now, that's the count of three. The two people that put their hands up want to receive Jesus. I'd love you to come. You come with someone. They'll come with you. Just come and stand in front of me. I want to just lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus. Ask God's blessing on your life. And uh, it'll only take a couple of minutes. And the others will put their hands up because something's happened and you know you've lost that place of passion. Why don't you come up to it? Make a row on the front and we'll just come near to God today and, and start that journey of getting the fire back again. We're ready to do that? One, two, three. Let's stand. Let's give them a clap. The young woman over here, young man over there. Would you like to come forward so I can pray for you? God bless you. What's your name? Michael. Awesome. Good to have you here, Michael. That's the way just face me. Fantastic. God bless you. How are you doing? What's your name? Becky. Hi, Becky. Great to have you here. Great. And Jacob. God bless you, Jacob. That's a good name. Okay. Well, it's great to have you here, Michael, Becky, Jacob. Fantastic. God understands where you are with your life, wants to help you. 
and we want to help you too. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. So what's what I want you to do? Just close your eyes right now, just so you just lose consciousness or awareness of people around you. This is personal between you and God. I will give you a prayer to pray, just simple words to open your life to Jesus to receive Him. Everyone will just listen and follow me in those prayers. But as you pray, just make them your words. It's a simple prayer to acknowledge your need for Jesus, to receive Him, trust in Him. When you do that, God hears. He will respond. Church, let's pray the sinner's prayer together. Jesus, I open my heart to you today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. Thank you, you rose again from the dead. And you offer me life today. Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive all my sins, all my failures. I receive your Spirit into my heart. And I give you my life today. I belong to you. And you belong to me. Before heaven and earth, I declare, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord and my friend forever. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for Jacob today, for Becky, for Michael. I thank you, Lord, they're precious in your sight. You know, the struggles they've had, the challenges they've faced, living a life without God, the emptiness and uncertainty and insecurity. Today, Lord, I pray for peace to come into their heart, for your love and hand to come upon them, and that, Lord, you would help them to grow in this, from this first step into fulfilling your purpose for their life. Amen. Church, let's give them a clap. Jacob, God bless you, man. Awesome. Good on you. Okay. God bless you, Becky. Wonderful. God bless you, Michael. We've got people here that are going to give you a little gift and share the next steps with the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? Praise the Lord. Did you come up with him, did you? No. Right, for the passion. Okay, we'll stay up here. That's great. Okay then, right out. Well, if you just follow the people there, they'll give you a book and whatever. And... Right, yep. Okay, now those who had God speak, you know in your heart, I lost my fire. I lost my passion. I want you to come out here right now. Come on. You need to come. You need to come right now. You need to say, God, I'm just acknowledging right now. I've lost the fire. I've lost the passion. Today, I want to start the journey back. I want to start the journey back into being on fire again. Passionate about winning souls. Passionate about Jesus Christ. Passionate about the things of God. Come on. There's a whole heap. Put their hands up. Let's just make that decision. Come out of your place of hiding. Come out of the place of defeat and say, God, I need you today. To ignite a fresh fire. Listen, come along tonight. We've got the youth band playing. It'll be noisy and live and loud and fun. And they have come so far. They're an outstanding group. Why don't you come tonight and support them as they get into it tonight? Come on, there's others need to come today. Others need to come. Don't, don't hold back. Don't hold back. Anyone else today that God spoke to you about passion and about fire? Amen. Just please come. Please come so we can pray with you. For the rest of the church, God bless you. Have a fantastic day. Take someone out for coffee or home for lunch or whatever. Love them and get to know them.